You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Welcome to this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series with Jerry Parker, Mort Siebert and I, Niels Kastorlassen, where we do our best to bring you into the world of rules-based investing by sharing our observations and hard knocks from the last few decades, hoping that you can avoid making some of the mistakes that we did. Now, usually I would say good morning to Jerry and good afternoon to Moritz, but actually right now it's just you and me, Moritz, because Jerry's having a few technical problems on his side, but he may just join in a little bit later. So I can start by saying, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Niels. Good afternoon, Niels. I hope Jerry will be able to join us uh, shortly. Absolutely. Let me start by following up a little bit from last week uh, by acknowledging uh, all of you who did take time out to leave us a rating and review uh, during the week. Uh, we love reading your feedback and it helps us stay on course to provide as much value as possible. And specifically, I want to give a big thanks to Derek W and LL at L2, uh, which are the usernames I noticed, uh, who both jumped into the US uh, iTunes store to leave some really nice comments and ratings. And, but also to everyone else who left a review in their local iTunes store. Uh, but like central banks and their stimulus programs, we need more. And we would love if all of you listening today would just take out, uh, you know, a few minutes if you haven't done already, just to go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash review. And there you can see exactly what you need to do. And I would say it shouldn't take you more than 10 minutes, um, but it really makes the world of difference to us um, because we are competing against some really big podcasts for the attention of global investors. So um, in advance, thanks very much. Now, let's jump back to uh, this week's review of the market action, so to speak. Um, uh, the week started off with China reporting the second quarter GDP growth and it came in at 6.2% year-over-year, according to the National Bureau of Statistics, the slowest pace of output expansion on record going back all the way to 1992. Now, then midweek, we had a little bit of a communication uh, challenge uh, at the New York Fed. Their president uh, kind of became the center of attention when he, uh, on Thursday, I think it was, moved the markets by suggesting a more dovish FOMC um, than the market uh, are expecting, um, but only to see their own press office uh, at the New York Fed take those comments uh, back yesterday, uh, Friday. Um, but, you know, the Fed is now entering their quiet period ahead of the much-anticipated July 31 rate decision. Perhaps we will get a little bit of summer calmness spreading uh, in the markets until then. So with that in mind, Moritz, um, how calm was your week, so to speak? Hmm. Well, first of all, isn't it amazing that there's a country that's growing 6.2% and that's the weakest level in 27 years. You said 1992, I think, uh, when they started? I did say that, but frankly... I mean, who knows I'm, what I'm, they're I'm not. I'm right? not so sure how, how much uh, these numbers uh, I, I know. reflect reality. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, in contrast to all the other uh, countries, I mean, you know, Germany, Switzerland, I mean... 
those numbers are we've never been there and maybe who knows whether we'll we'll ever go back to those levels but they're far 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 away so 6.2 percent gdp growth is is amazing anyway um the week i i remember a bad monday a bad tuesday a great wednesday a good thursday and a so-so friday mm -hmm. but across all those days it's been close to one percent up um the bonds came back a bit which helped um oil down uh, in the last couple of days actually made some money of that uh have some position changes in oil back and forth these days and um made money from gold that seems strong emissions strong still along that contract um all the other markets i don't know give or take i mean minor moves really didn't didn't see that much in, in all the other markets so um like i said close to one percent up not complaining no why complain about that um yeah i mean on our side pretty solid week actually we uh we managed to uh make back uh everything we lost the previous week so we're back uh well in the black for the month um the weaker energy prices and the recovering global fixed income of course uh inspired our strategy to deliver this performance uh for sure the single biggest contributor uh was in fact crude oil um but you know short positions in japanese equities also did pretty well um and short positions in the euro uh the british pound and wheat uh, were quite helpful um, but of course uh, it wasn't all just winners there were some losers as well uh, on the losing side we we, we saw some uh, uh, give back in things like silver I think the hawks corn unleaded gas uh, and of course US equities which you know were down on the week and 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 since we're long um, you know a bit this uh, at the moment then that hurt a little bit but really uh, you know um a pretty um pretty good week so far yeah um now normally we have um we have jerry's tweets but now we don't have any jerry no so uh no tweets so so do we have any tweets of our own i mean were there anything we noticed i i kind of maybe wanted to come back to this a little bit later but maybe we should just invent this as kind of jerry tweets but there's a lot of things happening this morning uh, and maybe even yesterday on Twitter because of Ray Dalio, because Ray Dalio came out with another really well-written, uh, well-articulated article. Uh, I think he posted it on LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, just search Ray Dalio. And essentially, he, um, he goes on to talk about these paradigm shifts that uh, he th have studied and have concluded happens roughly every 10 years pretty much every decade and since we are hitting uh, only another six months five and a half to be exact until 2020 uh, the end of this decade um, he uh, he's talking about um, you know when this paradigm shift we're currently having is coming to an end potentially and and what may follow uh, did you have a chance to see this uh, this article I did read it and um it's a rather long article um maybe i don't know six seven pages something like that if you know give or take it may take you 25 30 minutes to read through it but it's worth reading i enjoyed it um i actually like everything by ray dalio his his style of writing i find very clear um always to the point 
And um, so, yeah, I enjoyed this article. But the same token, when you read it, you know, there's always always a little bit of chill going through your body because, you know, there's kind of like this doomsday scenario also out there when you, you know, he, he doesn't actually, you know, actually write it like that. But, you know, he goes like, well, you know, this paradigm may be ending. And if it ends, then we've had some Goldilocks years here. Uh, everything has been great. And what may be ahead of us is potentially much worse. One of the things that I thought was quite useful uh, in our context is, of course, um, what he's saying is that the worst thing one can do, especially late in the paradigm, is to build one's portfolio based on what would have worked well over the prior 10 years. Yet that's typical. And uh, he also somewhere, I think, or, or whether I just heard it as an interpretation, but he is kind of saying also that usually what happens is the things that hasn't worked so well in the previous 10 years tend to work well in the next paradigm uh, shift. And um, and so I couldn't help thinking about this debate we, we see a lot about where people say, oh, you know, the lost decade for trend following and all of those good things uh, that we uh, often have to come out and and uh, comment on so i um i i wouldn't i wouldn't um you know i wouldn't rule out that um trend following could be one of those things that uh, that 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 would be uh, in that group of things that might work really well as we head into the next uh, paradigm shift jerry let me try i was just uh, you know being distracted a little bit by um by your attempt to um, to uh, join us here, are you? How does the microphone sound? Yeah, you're sounding good. So we're co we're going to continue. We're right in the middle of the recording, Jerry. We have uh, we've talked a little bit about our portfolio so far. Um, you know, we're just about to hit your tweets, but maybe you want to bring up um, you know just a few highlights from the week on your side, uh, single stocks or crypto, whatever it might be that stood out uh, during the last uh, week or so. Oh, yeah, sorry for the delay, but uh, I don't know if you talked about, uh, I'd say, gold and uh, nickel. They sort of took off. No, we didn't. Yeah, gold yeah. Uh, made new highs. Corn did not. I was talking about those last week, uh, but uh, gold took off again. Silver tried, and maybe silver's going to catch up. Uh, it's a group of markets with platinum that I think are sort of correlated, but they look a lot different along with nickel and the rest of the uh, LME, copper, aluminum, and lead, and zinc. So uh, I was trying to buy nickel all for a couple of days this week, and it was a hard trade to put on. It kept rallying. So um, I think that was kind of fun to watch. Bitcoin got crushed a little bit this week. So uh, it's good to see some of the longs uh, taking off and looking like they may have uh, higher prices. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it has been an interesting week. I think overall uh, a positive week uh, for, for many trend followers. Uh, but, um, you know, again, probably quite depending on where your exposure is because uh, certainly not everything worked out well um, in that. Now, uh, now you're here. Are you also uh, ready to... Um, to take us into Twitter land, because I was just saying to Moritz while uh, you were getting on, is that um, one of the things that kind of, in my opinion, blew up a little bit on Twitter the last 24 hours or so was this new article from Ray Dalio, which we spoke a little bit about. Uh, always interesting to follow his work, and he's very articulated in um, when it comes to uh, writing financial 
uh, insights and sharing them. So um, those were the things we were discussing before you joined. Um, but we are interested in in your tweets. Um, but of course, if you've read the article from from Ray Dalio, if you have a perspective, um, you know, feel free to share that as well. Of course. Yeah, I did read the article, but I was wondering if you wanted to talk about uh, this sort of oldish paper that we were emailing about this week about multiple trend following systems sure. if you guys were interested in discussing that on air we were a little perplexed yeah. by the conclusions i think it's like from 2016 but we sort of had a good time uh talking about it uh, about i think this uh article was sort of or paper was sort of discounting uh, the benefits of multiple entries and exits multiple trend following systems yeah, I mean, uh, Moritz, uh, you read that paper as well. I have to say I only skimmed it, um, but um, are you able in your usual elegant way to uh, just paraphrase a little bit? I think you were the one who actually brought it to our attention, so uh, so maybe you have uh, some, some stronger views on it. Yeah, it's an interesting paper by a quantitative asset management firm based in London. Um, what they say, it's kind of like, you know, one trend speed beats them all. So they go and look at, I think it's in uh, either simple moving average or exponentially weighted moving average. I don't recall exactly what it is, but it's, it's an EMA crossover or an SMA crossover, um, which has a certain average um, time in the market, right? And then they go and compare this to other combinations of crossovers. So by changing the longer or the shorter moving average, but keeping the average time in the market roughly the same. So I was puzzled by that because it's kind of like, you know, you say you have a five over 50 uh, crossover and you replace that with, I don't know, uh, an X over Y crossover, which has the same average time in the market. So it's, you know, I don't know what, what the, the sense of that was, but essentially the conclusion is um, to break it down and, and give it to you in a nutshell, they said they didn't see a lot of value in distributing a trend following system across several trend speeds or time windows, right? And and I was rubbing my head because it's like, well, I, I don't really see this. I don't I don't find this in my own trading. If I have, you know, different breakout uh, windows, like, you know, 100 day, 200 day, 300 day, everything in between, then over the long run, the findings are they make about the same amount of money. But every year every month they make different amounts of money right so i do get a diversification benefit from combining them because they will be exiting at different points in time one system may still be active the other one may still be may already be out of a position so all of that helps and essentially smooths my trading process which is something that i like and i enjoy the benefits from that and and so I was, I was a bit puzzled by that paper, a professional asset management firm doing trend following systems, saying that they will focus and concentrate on just one time window or one indicator, if you will, with one speed, go with that and not look at any, anything else. And it was just to me, well, nah, that's, that's not for me. So hence, I send it over to you guys to get your opinions on it. And uh, and I think, you know, what I got back is you agree with my findings. That's right. You know, it's not, we do care about our 
monthly returns and we'd like to smooth them out as much as possible and of course trading lots of markets and shorts is one way to do it and different exits and entries is another way um, and especially when your uh, your strategy is dominated by outlier trades and so we get a hold of a big huge trade that increases in volatility and one of our exits is uh, 100 days lower and another one is 200 days lower then uh, that's going to be a very big difference in the P&L on those trades. And like you said, weekly, monthly, even uh, yearly, you know, those two systems that I agree would, uh, the back test would show roughly making the same amount of money, not necessarily with the same holding period, but uh, any one trade or year could be much different depending upon sort of the, ram- the randomness of just using a different exit uh, in over a short period. Uh, so, and then also this, what's kind of weird is that when you hold on to these trades for a year or two, you know, and uh, the correlation uh, over that period is going to be almost 100%, right? Because you kind of got in and held on for a year or two and there's no exit yet. Uh, so uh, some sort of traditional statistics may say, well, why bother the correlation of those two systems uh, is very high, you know, except when you sort of exit and uh you see the resulting p and l in that trade so i think uh still stand by our idea that um and it's a good thing i mean what a great idea that uh, you can run multiple entries and exits and when you look at the back test they all make the same amount of money or they're all profitable i mean that's pretty darn good uh, as it relates to the benefits of trend following uh and i think the article kind of went on and said something like uh kind of baffling as well that uh well a lot of the profit that was made in one of the systems or exits was in bonds and bonds had this crazy great move and you can't expect that to happen again so that's you know you can't expect any of these moves to happen again uh and that's sort of how we that's how the game is kind of played it's a rare event that we profit from that pays for all the small losses yeah, no, I mean, exactly. And and of course, the, the reality is, no, you may not expect the same moves to happen again. You may expect even bigger moves to happen again uh, at some point. I mean, we've obviously seen just in our, uh, in, in, in recent time that I think most of our listeners will remember some pretty big moves in, in things like uh, crude oil, uh, you know, from... 120 bucks down to 25 bucks in 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 eight months back in 2014 so i mean crazy things do happen uh and that's you know so i can completely agree that it's a weird kind of you know it's it's we've talked about this in a different way before and that is that often uh i think um people are searching for this one right answer um and uh uh, it you know in and and we always come back to this thing about it's not about trying to find the best uh thing um and um so it, i think it's a little bit too simplified uh you know when you do and and then there's the other thing and that is that our systems are not linear systems meaning if you start fiddling with one thing it may have an effect on a completely different part of the portfolio um, so it's a much it's a, it's a bit more complex, I think, than just saying, "Oh, yeah, but I'm going to choose the 99 day uh, time look back period, and and that's going to be my choice." Uh, I think we're um, we've seen enough to know that 
that it's better to have a uh, a basket of different look back periods to uh, rely on that and and even if and, and as you both of you say that a lot of times you'll find that maybe over long periods of time they return more or less the same um and i i don't have any data right now with me to say that's true or not but even but even if it was well i think for me that really goes to show how robust the underlying methodology really is the fact that you don't have to get the absolute best look back period um and so the whole thinking the whole concept about trend following um is is sound and uh, which i'm sure people have heard us say before on this podcast so anyways uh, you know i think uh, another concept i'd like to mention that maybe can help me explain i've been struggling uh it's sort of like there's a trick involved with trend following. And the trick is we trade all of these markets the same systems with the same parameters and the longs and the shorts. And then we sort of like are blind to everything else. We are like, uh, these are, and so what gets caught up in our trend following net is all these little small fish, you know, small winners, small losers, and then, uh-oh, look at that. Look at that monster fish. Now, we treated every trade the same, and we did not try to treat the bigger ones different. And so when we catch those big trades, tr tr trends and trades, we, we also are capturing losses and small losses and small winners as well. And so because we don't try to do anything different, it's okay that – we can say we should expect more of these large trades in the future and that although it is rare and we can't expect it, quote unquote, uh, statistically, we're doing the right thing. Uh, you see where I'm going? I think it's kind of a little trick. We're able to pull in rare events by claiming a large sample size. Well, there's not a large sample size for those large trades. So how can you say that? Well, we're treating all the trades the same. We just so happen to grab the large ones as well. And I think that's what people are missing when they say, how can you have a strategy and rely upon it where all of your profit is due to things that are so rare? What if they don't happen again? And that's also why it's so important to do every single trade. What you do on one is miss that one trade that pays for all the losers, right? So it's, you know, never forget that this is the very important discipline systematic part of this is to not forget putting on every single trade as they are being produced but i agree with jerry absolutely right that's the trick the trick is to treat them all the same way you know have that large backtest sample size and then repeat 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 but isn't that also why that diversification is so important within the strategy? Yes. Because if you're only trading equities, right, we know, and I'm not talking about single stocks here, but, you know, equity indices as the industry, that's how it got started, right? They've become so correlated that it would be unusual to see a massive move in one equity market if, you know, on its own, right? So you're ending up trading things that more or less behave similarly so if none of them have any big moves well you're not going to catch that big fish but then if you add to that all these wonderful commodity markets um, where you do see on a regular basis some really big moves um, then you know that that's where it comes in i mean this is exactly why you this is in, and i know we've had this discussion before we don't need to venture into it again but 
I think this is why when you see articles that claim that trend following doesn't work on equities, well, as, as I've said many times before, it's it wasn't designed to just work on equities. It is designed, at, in the original form at least, to be uh, employed on a... Um, on a fully diversified portfolio. Um, so, anyways. And I think, uh, back to what you were saying, Moritz, I think uh, this is the danger of having a filter. You know, I like filters as long as it sort of just delays my entry. Okay, so it's going to delay it a little bit, but I'm going to get in. And so, but if you have a filter, low vol, it has to be a low vol, or it has to be, have another characteristic, and then you watch that trade go. I mean, you know, do all of these big, huge monster moves, are they A-plus trades with every filter, the beautiful chart, the consolidation, the low, in, the low vol? No, maybe not. <clears throat> and uh, so you can filter yourself out of profits if you're not careful. Back to the example you talked about this week, right, where you're trying to buy nickel and it wasn't an easy thing to get into. And that's exactly right. I mean, that's the point. Back to the one of the things with the trend following in equities, and I know what you mean, Niels, with the importance of diversification and trend following was not meant to only work on or be applied to equities, but to a larger portfolio of things, right? Um, here's kind of like, you know, maybe maybe I'm out on a ledge here, but but here's a bet. I think if 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 you took the 100 stocks of the S&P 100, let's say the S&P 100, not the 500, right? Every one of the, every single one of them um, with the historical time series, total return, adjusted for corporate actions, and all of that type of stuff. And you used a simple 200-day moving average, say, right? Applied to every single one of those stocks, risk-based position sizing, and run this. I'd be very much surprised if this didn't produce better performance than just being long only the S&P 100. Yeah, no, I'm, I definitely wouldn't disagree with that. Uh, I'm, I'm referring Saying to, yeah. It doesn't work on equities is, I don't get it. You know, who's especially that? since they're the best trending markets over the past 10 years, of course, it works on equities. Uh, but you know, what does works mean? It means different things to right. different people, but uh, you know, I think yeah. you're right. What, what I mean is that, yeah, I mean, what I mean is if you only apply trend following to say five equity indices, right? You know, the SP and the, the Dow and the DAX and the FTSE, that correlation and 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 the and the and the moves there. I would suggest it doesn't necessarily give a very good return. If I look at our attributions of how much have these indices given us in terms of profit attribution in the last 10 years, well, it's really only been in the last two or three years where there's been some really good profits uh, applying a trend-following technique to those indices. So I, I don't disagree with having a diversified portfolio of single stocks. That's why I excluded that in my in my example. Yeah. Yes. So I think it's been sort of a slow week for me on Twitter, uh, but uh, I did pick up steam yesterday on my 10-hour <laughs> car ride from Virginia to New York. Shout out to my driver, uh, my friend who drove me up here, but uh, thus my hardware difficulties. This house is cursed when it comes to our wonderful podcast. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, this Friday's is a good time for me because I enjoy reading Morgan Housel and he has a lot of good stuff out there that yeah. uh, he's not a trend follower, probably doesn't even care about any of our, our markets at all, but he's full of wisdom that I can twist into trend following wisdom. Uh, one I particularly liked was um, risk does not like profits. Uh, profits is not 
F but PH profits. It's not even fond of historians. You can plan for every risk except the things that are too crazy to cross your mind. And those crazy things do the most harm because they happen more often than you think. You know, I love it when these people can, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, like like we like our friend friend Wayne that we uh, love. Uh, you know that they can make some kind of poetry out of things that uh, you know we wouldn't describe necessarily uh, in in that regard uh, or in that way. And and so um, you know, interesting to read. Uh, and he he puts out a lot of uh, good stuff uh, for sure. Uh, do you want to say anything about that, Moritz? I have a lot I can say. So let me just read that. Risk does not like profits. It's not even fond of historians. You can play for every risk except the things that are too crazy to cross your mind. And those crazy things do the most harm because they happen more often than you think. Well, first thing is this is absolutely right. We always underestimate the things that can happen in those markets. And every time they happen, we kind of like look surprised at them and, and think, well, that shouldn't have happened, but yet it did happen. And so this is kind of like the recurring thing. Things are more extreme, more fat-tailed than we all imagine. You know, we humans, we love that bell curve. We love things in a tidy, neat order with organization, but the world out there is not as organized as we think. So that, that, that is what comes to mind, right? Which means that we need systems and methods to, to cope with that environment. Because if you had a strategy that only worked if things are tidy and in order and everything's converging to means and it's stable, then those systems will let you down as soon as the paradigm shifts, which is why I think the three of us and all our trend following friends are so happy to go with our system. We know that in the short run, if things are extremely orderly and, you know, other things work, our trend following systems may not be the best performers and we may end up with lots of little losers but when the big moves happen we're normally there we're protected we have a lot of emphasis on capital preservation with our system and then we can go for the juggler so that's what i like about that exactly i like how he says so you can't predict the, you know we don't we don't believe in prediction history is not necessarily a great guide of what the bad things can happen. Yes. I love the idea you threw in there, the fat tails. Uh, and it made me think also of um, so many of the things that we think are necessary. Uh, you must, it's, it's only going to work or you, it's going to, you can increase your chances of it working if you do it up front. Like, you know, what should I do when X happens? Well, the problem with X is that it may be too late. You know, what should I do if my leverage is too high? What if, I, what if I have no shorts? What do I do if I trade stocks only? Now tell me and help me. I can't help you. It's too late. You know, you needed to have moderate leverage. Uh, you needed to uh, have some shorts and have some diversification in all the other markets. Uh, so, and we're not even claiming that, oh, this is just the, the, the secret. We're, we're going to avoid all of these things that have never happened before because we may not. Uh, we certainly have profited from a lot of things that have never happened before because we set up our portfolio and our strategy, uh, trailing stops. Exactly. And I think it's, it's so important to, you know, that the knowledge like the, to, to, well, revert back to what's at the core of 
risk management in the way we trade, like observe the stop, don't second guess your system, all of those type of things. Because like you've just said, X may have happened in the past, right? You can look back to history and X has happened in the past. But that X is not going to happen in the future in exactly the same X type of way. It may be a XY or Y type of way, right? It's never going to be exactly the same. That's our experience, right? But what you can learn, and I think that's part of the education and that comes with trading and experience in all the years is, well, if something like X, it's not going to be X, it's X-like, right? If something like that comes up, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? And I don't need to sit there paralyzed, questioning myself, like, you know, I'm not sure. So that means don't overtrade, don't have too much leverage on, right? If you're in the wrong position, well, get out. There's just no point second guessing that position. If you've got the wrong position on, it's going against you, goes into your stop, observe the stop, get out, lift to fight another day. It's like all of those things, if you have them ready already by the time X happens, that is a fantastic asset to have because you have a leg up over, I think, many other participants who will get paralyzed in those type of situations because for them, the X that just came around the corner is as new as the, the X for, is for us, but we have kind of like a recipe to work with it. We know it's there, it's volatile, you know, it's a new type of thing, it's a new, new baby, but we know kind of like how to handle that thing. And other people and it's not. I think it's I'm often uh, hearing that it's odd for us to say or me to say uh, history history is not a guide we're not historians and uh, and I think rather than looking back and saying well here's the passive return of an index going back to 100 years ago I think that's far different than a trend follower who takes as little of the past as is possible which is uh, the back test showing entries and exits and a stop loss in saying that, well, this is a pretty good indication of a place to, to get in or to get out uh, in the look back period and the time frame. But uh, I'm looking at my trade stats and I like my average trade or I like my average winner and my winning percentage, but I have no, uh, I, I, I'm not thinking that the future of my equity curve or what the markets and the produced those uh, that historical performance on the back test is going to look the same in the future. So we're looking at history, but trying, in my opinion, I try to take as little from the past as I possibly can. Yeah, I mean, another thing I think to throw into that uh, mix is the fact that um, I believe it's been proven medically uh, that uh, when we are under stress, I think we lose about 13 or 17% of our IQ. Um, and um, and so often when we have to take the most important decisions in in in, in our lives, um, you know, uh, we we have less we have less to work with, so so to speak, in terms of of uh, of brain capacity. And another thing I've noticed, just from different fields, but you know, just listening to different podcasts, etc., et there are a lot of these ex Navy SEALs that have come out and become great speakers and uh, podcast hosts, etc. And they're sharing their experiences from what it's like to be 
in probably one of the most uh, stressful uh, jobs or certainly stressful situations you can even come um, through. And, and of course, what they always say is that everything they do is planned to the T and it's repeated and it's trained and it's, you know, so they're not winging it when they stand there in the middle of the action. They're not taking any, you know, willy-nilly decisions, you know, for the most part. I mean, I'm sure they, they will have to from time to time, but for the most part, they have a plan and they execute that plan. So in a world of financial markets that is impacted by everything that goes on in the world pretty much is expressed through these prices that we follow every day, you know, why would that not, I mean, why would that not also be a good plan or good idea to to apply that? Yet it's so, yet there is so many people who still find it hard to accept that having rules, following a plan, always knowing what to do based on what's happening in the markets is, is a good approach. Um, it's certainly not a perfect approach. We know that. Uh, but it's pretty darn good over the long run. Um, and as Dalio says, uh, you know, in in his uh, in his uh, piece, I mean, this is why you want to build a portfolio that has different strategies because not everything is going to work beautifully all the time. Um, but if you basically have strategies that are uh, successful over time but not correlated, then, you know, and, and and I'm not trying to start another discussion with you, Jerry, on this one. But but as a, you know, as a as a as a maybe a, a a young person trying to build long-term sustainable wealth and and who doesn't want to have everything in 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 trend following, it's not a bad idea. And actually, the concept is the same. We 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 put together actually in our portfolios return streams that are uncorrelated. So we are taking advantage of that as well. But it's just the idea of. As we've talked about, you know, it's a great idea to always know what to do and not get caught completely off guard at a time where you need to make really important decisions. That's exactly right. And I think those super seals you've just mentioned, they go into autopilot mode, you know, when, they, when they're under threat. There's just no time, no room for fear. It has to be automatic. It has to be all the actions you take, they have to be in, like an immediate part of you. And in a way that also goes for trading, right? I mean, when those super events happen, they may be extremely devastating, but I think you'll cope best with those type of things if you are in a kind of like autopilot mode. You just do what you're supposed to do, follow the system. There's no second guessing around that. And there's a way to train this, right? I mean, SEALs, obviously they train that, they train that, you know, without being fired at all the time. But, you know, we can also, I think, train ourselves by looking at past market data, fully knowing that everything that we've seen or that we see in that past data is not going to replay one for one in the future, right? But most of us, I think, they look back for the past, say, 20, 30, 40 or something like that years, right? Because market data is available for that period. You can download it into a spreadsheet, you can work with it, you can analyze it. But data from 1920, data from 1890, data from 1850, all of that stuff is much, much harder to obtain. And I always find it immensely interesting to look at periods, say the hyperinflationary period in Germany. It's kind of like, yeah, everybody knows that it has been there. And then you stop thinking about it. But what has it meant? Like, what did it mean? Like, what markets did actually move? What happened to gold? What happened to property? What happened to equities? What happened to bonds? Right. 
What happened to short-dated bonds? What happened to long-dated bonds? What happened in other currencies? You kind of like, you never take that second deeper look. And I would encourage people to do that. I think, you know, the reason Ray Dalio, I mean, he has data going back, you know, to the 1700s or so when, when you read his articles and his book about the great debt crisis, it's all about that. And he's meticulously analyzing every single one of the markets, right? What has happened to bonds? What has happened to currencies in, in all of these extreme periods? The same, I think, can be said for Winton. When you go into Winton's offices in, in, in Hammersmith, they collect data, they buy data, they have charts of things going back, you know, decades, uh, centuries, data that we don't have, or that is not that easily obtainable. And I think there's a lot to be learned from just, you know, transporting kind of like, you know, yourself back a century, or, you know, 150 years, and simulating like what, what has happened there? What, what would have, how would you have reacted? What, what are the circumstances? Right. And, and I find, I find that valuable to me. I know it's not going to come back in that same way, right. By, but looking only back the last 30, 40 years, that's a very limited history of, you know, just great growth in developed markets and China growing more than 6% every year. Kind of like, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a strange episode in a way. A very short, strange episode. No, I just wanted to add to what you just said there, Moritz, and that is, um, but of course, there are certain things that, even with all this data, even with all these rules, um, that I would definitely um, say is not something that just comes natural, because we're all human beings, so we have all the same biases, and that is actually having the discipline to follow the rules, not freaking out when things look, um, you know, really uh, difficult, even for, you know, for our strategies as well, when we're in a big drawdown and so on and so forth. And, 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 and our little weekly conversation is, 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 is also a way for, for the three of us and hopefully for the many thousands of listeners to, you know, help build that, you know, confidence or, 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 or experience um, where, you know, it's okay to feel your emotions. It's okay to notice that you're in a 30% drawdown and, and not feel great about it, but you still need to have that core belief that you're doing the right thing and you need to take the next trade. Um, so, you know, it's it, it doesn't mean that if even if you have all the rules that this is easy and this is exactly what we've talked about so many times that partly why we can be so transparent about what we do as managers when we meet prospects and so on and so forth is that part of our edge, a big part of our edge is behavioral. It's actually following the rules. It's actually doing what we're saying we're going to do. Uh, day in and day out, um, sitting through the drawdown, holding people's hand and, and, and uh, you know, make sure they don't, you know, withdraw, or redeem uh, at the bottom of a drawdown and so on and so forth. You know, so that that is part, that's part of that story as well, I think. Uh, but uh, I guess I lost uh, my train of thought on uh, or following, but, you know, I'd love to go to visit Winton and then I would just go right back to my office and follow trends. So you're not advocating that uh, we use all of this collection. So, you know, if I was collecting all this data, I think people are like, why are you doing this? I'm like, yeah, I don't really know. It has nothing to do with my trading. I am uh, going to be prepared for whatever happens in the future to the degree that my entries and exit in my systems uh, coordinate. Yeah. Agree. I, I just, you know, I think it helps 
in understanding that there are that many extreme periods available. And I think that there will be that many extreme periods thrown to us in the future. And looking back the last 30 years, we kind of like cloud ourselves with the global financial crises and the tech bubble and, you know, LTCM, and there have been a few other things, but there have been so many massively more severe periods in the last 150 years than I think most people imagine. I'm like you, I go back to my trend following trading style, looking at all those data, right? It, 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 does, it doesn't change a thing, but it helps me to understand that there is just more stuff going on. And probably there are odds of those things, like the future being more extreme than oh, you. Oh, I love it. Yeah, very good. Exactly. Yeah. And of, and of course, let's not forget that although we, we say, and, and everybody else says that past performance is not a guide to, to the future, we all base our decision on past performance, so to speak. I mean, an investor who makes a, you know, who does a, a, a due diligence on a, on a bunch of managers, I mean, of course, they're going to look at past performance as part of their decision making anyways. Uh, so data, you know, is useful, I think. Um, and, and of course, your, and, and, and our systems are developed based on certain levels of data, whether you need 200 years, probably not, in my opinion, but you need some data. Yeah, and I would just amend that to say uh, past craziness, uh, past wild things happening that no one would ever expected is indicative of wild and crazy things happening in the future. That's at least what we're hoping. And uh, if we have small profits and no outlier trades, then we're not going to be as successful, which is what we've had uh, more of recently than we'd like. Yeah, and I think when you when you read um, you know, Ray Dalio's article, just to go back to that, because it kind of, you know, touches on so many things that that uh, that we discuss, uh, but in a different way. And of course, Ray Dalio has a lot more clout than 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 the three of us, so so it's worth uh, paying attention here. But what he's saying is that all of these decades or paradigm shifts, essentially, are based on people repeating the same mistake every same every every time. Uh, so that's exactly right. I mean, these crazy things tend to repeat themselves so why would this time be different so so it's uh definitely uh i mean it's all behavioral at the end i mean in my opinion it's all behavioral and human beings uh have not changed certain core behavior and uh, this is why trend following based on human behavior even though it's a harder thing maybe to explain compared to a PE ratio or, or whatever it might be. But, but you know, it's, um, this is why it works and continues to work. Well, I would say it's uh, different uh, in a sense that the things that produce the trends, the human nature and the governments and people borrowing too much money, uh, I see those things that have created trends to continue in, in, in spades. I mean, more than ever before, let's say. But I think it's another issue, which is the ability to capture those trends because of competition in computers is harder. So at the same time, what causes the trends are um, still relevant and out there forever and maybe getting bigger the more people that trend follow and use computers and sn sniff out our orders uh, and create crashes in the markets after big trends, 
this makes our life harder and a, a totally separate issue. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with that. Um, I don't disagree with that. Um, but again, I think actually, I think this goes in and out of of of, of fashion. I mean, uh, you know, and 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 I think this is why over the long run we see that the, that the strategies we uh, employ um, con- continue to work. But again, they don't work all the time, and there will be periods of time where certain uh, people have more success than others. There will be periods of time where you have strong governments and weak politicians, and there are periods where you have strong politicians and weak, uh, you know, central banks. Uh, and and so it all goes in um, in uh, shifts. Did you have more from your Twitter feed, uh, Jerry? Or there's a couple of questions we want to get to as well, but we also want to see what what's happening in your world, Twitter world. Oh, well, I think it's worth uh, doing our weekly visit to Wayne's <laughs> Twitter. Okay. And uh, we love Wayne, and everyone starts to love Wayne. We kind of found him first, I think. So uh, Pay his royalty. Uh, you did, certainly, yeah. Yes, <laughs> well. Uh, but so Wayne had a always has some profound, he's the trading poet, I guess, uh, on Twitter. After 25 years in trading, I see that my thinking for a long time was just a, just an amalgamation of all those I had learned from through mentors, books, white papers, talks, or otherwise. But what made all the difference was when at some point I adapted pieces and made it my own. And I think that's uh, true. I mean, I like that because it reminded me of myself. I, uh, I copied and adapted and stole and from as many people as possible. And then over time, I would just keep adding and creating my own trading worldview. And I was hesitant to uh, dis- uh, to disagree so quickly and file it away as I'm wrong, I'm right and they're wrong. I would just sort of store it away somewhere in my head until I actually was able to incorp- understand it better, get smarter, and incorporate things I initially uh, didn't understand fully. But I would never assume that... Uh, mentors, books, papers, and people that I would just meet in a, uh, you know, at a MFA cocktail party were incorrect. I sort of tried to assume that they probably were correct. I just needed to keep it in my head and store it away until I was smart enough to uh, figure out if I should keep it or not keep it. So I, I like that um, from Wayne. Any thoughts, Moritz? Oh, it's so true. I, I love it. Um, I liked it. Uh, retweeted it. I think even um, it applies to me 100%. You know, I mean, when you start out, you start out with zero knowledge on trading. But so you have to you have to build it, you have to create it, you have to question what works and what doesn't work. But like Jerry, um, don't toss things away prematurely. You know, you may read about a thing which you don't initially understand. Maybe you'll never understand it. Maybe you'll never use it. But there are so many things that you know. I've experienced that. I was only able to understand one, two, three, five years or so later. And and then then you start working with it, but they become kind of like your own. It's your own responsibility to figure that out and and then adapt it to, you know, your own style of trading. But it's it's true. And I think this never stops. Like with all the, you know, you speak to other traders, asset managers, other other people, read books, read articles. There are so many times I pick up a new idea, even though, you know, we're kind of like looking at markets 
every day, every week. It's you know, it's what we do. It's it's our passion. It's our profession. But but even at that level, uh, you pick up things all the time which are interesting, which you then go like, hmm, I haven't thought about that. Let's see if that works. And you know, just throw a few numbers at it, build a simple spreadsheet, test the hypotheses. Um, maybe you can maybe you can find something that's interesting. And I think it's important to do that. That's not necessarily a strict. Well, well, no, I, let me correct myself. I think that is part of the research process. Part of the research process is to, you know, to take these things that you've picked up, which, you know, are intriguing and see if they work, test them, see if they work for you, if you can make them work for you and if you can understand them. And you shouldn't just, nobody should let those things just fall by the wayside and disregard them because you think, well, that's, sound silly or something like that. There may be a gem in there. So it's the work. You have to do the work and and get to the bottom of these things. And um, so I, I agree with that, which is why I liked it. And, you know, look, it's when when I first started reading about trading, it was all like, you know, stocks and buy stocks and long short equity, that type of stuff trading, right? But then I came across some, some crazy things about some animals called turtles and... Uh, you know, um, it's it, it started from there. So you go like, well, trend following that can't work. How how can something as simple as following trends work? It's just no way. So forget it, test it. Well, there you have it. It seems to work. So there's a starting point, and you build from there. I mean, I'm sure you uh, didn't think back then, many years ago, when you picked up your first book about the turtles, that X number of years later you would be doing a weekly podcast with. Uh, Exactly. That just shows you the uh, the wonderful world we live in, uh, that it is unpredictable. No, I mean, I would say that, uh, you know, even though uh, at our shop we've been doing this for 45 years, I mean, we're definitely still students of trend following. I mean, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't stop. It never stops. And incremental small improvements um, adds up over time. Um, so... Uh, it would be silly to start even contemplating that you know all that's needed to know. You wanted to add something, Jerry? Or I think also the opposite is uh, be careful. Don't let people talk you into things that are on your your ten commandments of trading. Price only, you know. Price only. I'm going to look at price only, you know, volume, of course, and liquidity. But, you know, so don't let that get in. Don't be tempted. Uh, <laughs> so it's both take it in, be open-minded, uh, but don't let the bad stuff in that you're past. Does things other than price only work? Yes, for others, but not for me. And there's a handful of other ones that you have to be. And one of the frustrating things I've realized about my research is I hesitate to even call it like research because I don't know if that's a really good term. Uh, I just feel like some of the uh, improvements that I've made over the years, they all had one thing in common. Uh, they were staring at me for many, many years. I just didn't have an open mind. I just didn't try. Uh, and I just went back and found some things in the markets that worked pretty well. So was it research that I uncover something? I mean, it was hidden from me. Uh, so I really struggle. It's really kind of a bummer to find something good. And you're thinking, golly, I could have used this five years ago if I'd have just went down that direction, not been closed mind, not written it off. Uh, such is life. Yeah. 
you have to do the work, right? And, uh, and not give up on those things. I agree. And, and I like what you say about those 10 commandments. It's so hard if you go to a cocktail party, you've just mentioned the cocktail party and there's people there saying they have the sure bet you should be buying that stock, right? And it's like two weeks later, you look at the stock and the stock is up 20% and it's, it's, it's just so tough, but you know, you go back and kind of like, I asked myself, would I have bought that stock with my system? You know, has the price been rising? When would I have bought it? Um, where would my stop be? What size would I have bought it with? Right. That's all that counts. You know, whether that person at that cocktail party has met, has made money off that stock. It doesn't really matter to me anymore. It used to bother me much more when I was starting out with this, but you know, these days forget about it. There Move we are. On. There we are. Yeah. We could go on and on on that, but, uh, that's really good stuff. Um, so I'm ready for the questions. If you All are. right. Okay. Cool. 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 Well, I have one more. Oh yeah. One, Jerry, I need that. This is, this is one of yours, which I really liked. And uh, so I think I, I sent something around, which was uh, for stock traders, your winning rate is improved when you buy the 52 week high compared to the 52 week low. I said, ah, okay, where's that coming from? Right. And then Jerry replied to that lots of other things, the S in things and dollar sign improve too. <laughs> buy the high, don't buy the low. That's the Yeah, that's that. where I was going to go. Uh, because uh, you made me think of that when, uh, like, exactly, I do the same thing. I hear about this stock that some famous hedge funds made a lot of money on, and I'm thinking, okay, uh, I see the breakout. I would have bought it. Do they buy it better than me? Do they buy it lower than me? Probably, you know, they probably did. So I would have made X on it. They made a lot more or some more. Uh, but, you know, over a long period of time and a lot of trades, how are they going to beat me? You know, are they going to consistently do better than my breakout? I don't think so. How? And materially, am I going to underperform by not trying to buy the low, the 52-week low, and waiting for the 52-week high or whatever my breakout is? Uh, am I going to be disappointed when you add up all the trades? No, I don't think so. And I think that I don't know if, if uh, I would like to see this research. I don't, I tweeted that, but I'm not sure if what his research was, which markets he used and how he did it. But it would be fun to see, you know, uh, and, and to, that should be part of our marketing strategy. Here's my breakout. See if you can do better by having uh, perfect hindsight to try to buy the 52, we try to buy the low of, of that market. You know, how does that work? And I think that uh, when you add it all up, a systematic approach is just not, you're asking in order to beat me, can you be consistently better at, uh, you know, buying something that's going down. And I just don't think that's possible. Cool. Great stuff, guys. Um, first question is from uh, Harsh. Uh, Harsh is writing, Hi, my name is Harsh. I am an avid listener of your podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys doing this, taking time from your busy life and doing this podcast for listeners. To me, uh, listening to the three of you is priceless. Now, the question. One, is it okay to have different exit strategy for long and short trades? And two, is it okay to have two different exit from trade, for example, have one tight stop when we put on a trade and if trade goes our way, we relax, we relax I think it should say, uh, that stop and put a bit further 
uh, and put it a bit further to uh, let the position breathe. Um, thanks again for taking your time and doing this for all of us. Well, thanks again, uh, Harsh, for your uh, kind words. Let me put it to um, the two of you first. Um, different exits, different distances to exits. Well, I guess the, it's... I, the, the, the answers are to his two questions, no and yes. The first question is different rules for long and shorts, essentially, right? Different exits for long positions and short positions. And as you know, listeners have heard us uh, repeat many, many times, that is not what we advocate for. We would treat them in the same way. Whether that's a long position or a short position, doesn't matter. The exits should be handled in the same way. Now, the second part of the question is have a initial stop of X, whether that's tied or not tied, I don't know. That's a qualitative decision. Um, and then and then have that stop become wider as the trade progresses and, and time goes on. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. If this is your rule, and if you apply that rule to all the markets in your portfolio and to all the all the longs and the shorts in the same way, then that's fine. Then you can find a, I believe, great trading rule, having a relatively tight or whatever initial stop you, that is you have with a subsequent trading stop or whatever stop it is that you use in the following periods that is no longer as tight as it initially was. That's fine. And you can define, you know, how you want to widen that stop. You know, if it, if that goes quick or if it's, you know, function of time, or a function of price, there's many ways of doing that. But if it is a good rule, if it is a rule and you apply it to all the markets in the same way, that's fine. Oh, I took that to mean, uh, <clears throat> is it okay to have a stop loss tighter uh, based upon the ATRs, a handful of ATRs from your entry? And then once it becomes profit, you have sort of a you know, moving average breakout. So I, I thought I thought that's what he meant. But uh, I think the first question is very intriguing in that, of course, the answer is no. Uh, you can look at the market, you know, each individual market and come up with parameters, historical parameters that look better. Or, But you lose the trick. You know, you lose the trick of trading everything the same, longs and shorts, having that sample size, and... Uh, saying, you know, I have a lot of evidence here that by looking at all the markets as if they were the same, uh, <clears throat> this is how I'm going to trade. This is what I think is going to work. The average, whatever worked better on all the markets is probably good for the future. It's it's kind of like uh, in the absence of having a thousand years worth of data, <clears throat> uh, we don't have that many. So let's, let's treat all the markets the same uh, and have a lot of trades and just cover up, you know, put your put your hand over the chart, the name of the chart, and just assume it's uh, assume all the markets are going to behave sort of the same in the future. I mean, uh, I'm not going to go into the same answers uh, as as uh, Jaron Moritz uh, for your harsh because I think they've done pretty well there. I will say one thing though that when you do apply the same rules to your longs and your shorts, um, and and one thing that we've talked about before on, on the podcast, but but I'm going to repeat it. It will not be surprising if you find that there's a big difference between your profitability on long-sided trades and short-sided trades. Uh, if you take simple 
um, trend following uh, systems um, across a, a um, diversified portfolio uh, over a, a reasonably long period of time, you may find actually that 80-85% of, uh, of, of the performance comes from the long-sided trades. Uh, so it's tempting to to maybe have different set of rules um, because you think, well, there must be a reason for that. Now, I agree with Moritz and Jerry. I don't think you should do it. But I think, again, this is just my little um, observation, let's call it that. I think forming a bottom is often an event, whilst forming a top is a process. Meaning that often I think that long-sided trades have a little bit more time to unwind more profitably than a short-sided trade where it can essentially turn on a dime and suddenly off you go. Um, you know, March 2009 was an example for you know uh, of that in um, in equities, of course. So just be aware of that and don't be discouraged if you find that. Um, um, but also don't maybe necessarily be tempted uh, just because you find that there is a difference in your PNL uh, based on long-sided and short-sided trades. Another fascinating discussion. You know, there's difference between corn and the Swiss franc. <clears throat> every market, every you can find differences all over, and that's the temptation uh, to do I let that in or do I try to keep that out? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I like to be orthodox. I like to be strict. I like to be the one person who is the strictest. But you don't want to be stupid and do it just for that. So you can call yourself, oh, look at me, I'm the most orthodox and traditional. But it is a, a quandary sometimes to, do I let it in? Do I keep it out? Uh, I'm just fortunate that I not only got the rules, but I, I was able to live with the mentor, mentoring and be a part of the process, not just read the rules in a book. So I'm beyond hope when it comes to change. If change is necessary, if I need to evolve, I'm probably going to be the least evolving person ever in some respects. Uh, you know, of course, I took the obsession with diversification to securities, long and short, single stocks and things like that, adding markets all the time uh, over the years and uh, trying to trade as many markets as possible. But yes. Yeah, Fascinating topic. Speaking of mentors, it's a great segue to the uh, second question of today from Sebastian. Sebastian writes, um, Hi, Nils, Jerry, and Moritz. I have read a quote of Bill Eckhart. If you don't feel the pain of a loss, then you're in the same position as those unfortunate people who have no pain senses. If they leave their hands on a hot stove, it will burn off. There is no way to survive in a world without pain. Similarly, in the markets, if the losses don't hurt you, your financial survival is tenuous. In Mark Douglas's book, Trading in the Zone, I read, most traders assume the best traders like themselves are also afraid of being wrong, losing, missing out, and leaving money on the table. They assume that the best trader somehow neutralizes their fears with an inordinate amount of courage, nerves of steel, and self-control. If you compare these two quotes, what are your thoughts? Is it, really able, uh, is it really able to trade completely without pain or fear if you deeply accept that trading is a numbers game? I hope you understand my question. Great Interesting one. question. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I don't think, well, you know, this is 
everyone for everyone you know personally but i don't think for me personally it's possible to trade without fear 100 you know trade using rules we use our 10 commandments of trend following but um you know on a normal day no problem no fear nothing happens some markets lose some markets win right you may have more losing positions in your portfolio and still make a you know gain for the day it, it, none of that matters but you know during those times where we have many days in a row where things go down you know drawdown becomes larger and larger and larger and you're like at minus 20 minus 30 minus 40. if if there's no pain i mean for me at that level there's pain it's definitely pain and i think it's um i think it's good to feel it it, it you know it's follow the rules but you know you're in this situation where you know you're it's dangerous and it's it's i think important to be aware of that and maybe you need to reduce your leverage um and trade smaller to avoid blowing up but it be it you know it, it strikes me as almost impossible if this were to happen to my account if, if my account were 50 percent down to not have pain with that definitely have pain with that um so it's a question of how large do you get that do let do let that pain get it's it's essentially a function of position size and leverage and are you are you disciplined enough to follow your system in the, at that point where it's so stressful and uh, and you know get out of it without without blowing up before i think that's right on uh, it sounds like it was uh, a response uh, an, a statement in response to you know i just someone trying to be too macho like nothing affects me i'm a robot i follow my system all the time uh i don't care about losses or you know and i think it's just like moritz said um, i don't think these systems can be trusted ultimately trusted it's this is not religion it's not faith you don't need to be a martyr for your system uh when you're losing money cut back and trade smaller get your leverage correct um you want to feel this drawdown and pain and do something about it and if it has to be a little bit of override money management override daily no annually probably not enough you're trading too large you don't need to probably do it annually but every now and then or you can have a blanket rule to rule out uh, preserving capital ultimate pr preservation of capital which is to dramatically reduce your positions and your uh, risk per trade uh, no, of course you need to have those things. Don't be macho and don't treat this as if uh, it's a religious experience and you're, and you're going to be judged if you ever give in and give up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the only thing I want to add to that and is that I think also we, we need to look at, you know, what does it really mean to, uh, you know, just because you have pain, does it mean that you have fear? And I think this is where the difference is for uh, a trend follower, uh, potentially. It's not that we don't feel the pain. We certainly feel the pain for our clients when we go through a drawdown. I mean, I think I, I've, been, I've been doing this for 30 years. I still do that. I feel bad when our clients lose money. But I'm not fearful. And I have this strong belief that as long as we keep doing what we do, 
we will, like we've always done, go back and make new all-time highs. And so I think there's a difference and they, one doesn't you know, rule out the other. I mean, you can have pain, but you don't have to necessarily be afraid that your methodology is going to completely unravel. I think it's a little bit different if you were just long only in something and, and the whole world is tumbling down like it did in 2008. Um, you know, then I think you can have pain and fear uh, for sure. Um, but um, but in, in general, I think certainly the people I know in, in this industry, um, they're pretty humble people and they never take anything uh, for granted not, and not even their own success despite, uh, you know, having been successful for decades. So, so um, I just think you need to stay grounded and um, be authentic. That also means... I think yeah. that's a good point, Niels. It, it shouldn't be fear because if, you know, if you're fearful, then that Something's may prevent wrong. you from yeah. clicking the mouse and putting the trade on that you need to be putting on right yeah. now or getting out of a position that you need to be getting out of right now. Fear can paralyze you. Pain, I don't think it paralyzes you. It's just pain is pain is pain. It's like this you're not satisfied with, you know, what's currently happening with your account and, you know, the, the risk of whatever it is, but it, it, I think pain and fear are two different things. Fear should not be should not be there. Pain in our business can actually be a motivating factor to go and do more research to figure out a way where we can improve these things. It reminds me uh, a little bit, not exactly what you're talking about, but it reminds me of the a saying that uh, in a turtle saying when uh, you know, we were in the class was uh, people have it backwards. You know, when they have a loss, they're hopeful that the loss is going to turn into a, a profit. But that's when they should be fearful that the loss is going to get bigger. And when people have a big profit, they're very fearful that it's going to turn into a smaller profit. And that's when they should be very hopeful yeah. that yeah. it's going to keep going. <laughs> so I think I always just love that so much. And I think that is absolutely true. Uh, I've never met a trader when I talked about my biggest mistake, you know, being getting out of profits too quickly, who also, regardless how they trade, if they only traded stocks, we, that's the same with everyone. You know, you want to be that one person who had the biggest drawdown because they probably also made the most amount of money. Yeah. Right. Great stuff, guys. Thank you so much for uh, the questions. Um, again, do keep them coming. Uh, you can email them to info at toptradersonplug.com and we will do our very best to give you some um, colorful answers to your questions. Um, let me quickly run through uh, performance as of Thursday this week. Um, so uh, I think Friday was, uh, as, as Moritz was saying in the beginning, kind of a so-so day, probably slightly down, but, uh, but uh, the, the first part of the week uh, was pretty, pretty solid. So now we have the B-Top 50 up 1.71 for the month of July, up 7.10 for the year. Sokgen CT Index up 0.64 for the month, up 6.5 for the year. The Trend Index, strong month, up 2.15, up 9.74 for the year. Uh, the Sokgen Short-Term Traders Index uh, made about half a percent uh, for the month so far, up uh, 0.73 for the year. And the Bridge Alternatives Index up 1.24 for the month and up 6.73 for the uh, year so far. Um what else, gentlemen, do you want to add to our uh, our little conversation today? Not much more. Enjoy the summer days. Happy trading.
yeah, thanks to all of our listeners out there. Uh, Sam noticed that we spent half the podcast talking about his question last week. So <laughs> nothing from Sam this week. So you're taking a few weeks off, Sam. He's, uh, he wound us up last week with that. Uh, he threw in that curveball <laughs> of all trade uh, targeting. So uh, now he has to be qu- he's in the quiet zone right now, I think. I think there's quite a few people who know how to wind me up, and I think they just like watching me. And I'm totally oblivious to it until after I'm over, until after it's over, and I'm like shaking my head, "Why did I go for that?" But uh, I'm pretty predictable. <laughs> yes. Well, there we are. Um, on that note, I think we're going to uh, wrap up this uh, week's conversation. We hope you enjoyed it as always, and as I mentioned in the beginning of our uh, conversation today, we would love to have a massive uh, amount of ratings and reviews on iTunes to compete with these big uh, shows that we are competing for when it comes to uh, the attention of investors. So um, we've created this little um, link you can go to, toptradersonplug.com forward slash review. Um, And there it's uh, very simply explained what you need to do to go and... uh, and help us out with a, a quick rating and review. shouldn't take more than five or ten minutes, and uh, we would really, really appreciate it. With that said, um, Jerry from Jerry Mortis and me, thanks so much for listening, and we look forward to being back with next week edition. And in the meantime, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.